account. Go to zero.com. Well, zero. Simplify everyday business tasks. Also, a global chart of accounts for us and standardization across our clients it is huge. It builds well. efficiencies. So you're going to spend yeah. more time with your clients and less time coding transactions. Oh, and speaking of coding, they have cash coding and find and recode handled to both write-up work to be consistent and standardized across an entire year of books. They've made bulk coding very easy. For those of you that have a lot of write-up clients where they used to hand you bait statements that like do my tax return, well, you, you basically load their bait statements into zero and code it. It saves you so much time instead of doing that on Excel or however the hell you're doing it for them. There's a new analytics cash flow and dashboard now and a snapshot to see things at a glance. I just found out about this and I love it. This is something new. This was, this was exciting to me. And they're it, constantly improving the products. There's new features coming out all the time. Go to zero.com, check them out, mention the sons of CPAs. I don't think that's going to matter, but that would be cool. Just do it. Thanks you know so. what? You know what? When you're signing up, just say sons of CPAs out loud and something good will happen. It's it'll like be a magic. Yeah, it's it'll like be it'll be magic. We don't know what it's gonna be, but poof, change of clothes, change of scenery. Everyone, yeah. go to zero.com. Don't just take our word for it. Go to zero.com and go throw your hands in the air and yell "sons of CPAs" with an S. The S word that we don't say anymore. <laughs> don't say that word. But by the time Generation X got in power, they had been raised by baby boomers, and they were just like baby boomers. We're going to attract different people to the CPA profession when we truly become consultants. Don't you think? If you can't manage nine people like without a timesheet, then like you're not probably a good manager. Oh, I'm a terrible manager. I never said <laughs> I was good. I'm, I'm a horrible manager, <laughs> but I feel like I have happy people when they like working for me. It's real life. It's real and life in the accounting profession. Hello and welcome. We are all the sons of CPAs. Join us as we question the current state of the accounting and tax industry with the next generation and prior generation of professionals leading the space. We are all the change agents in an industry fraught with money and inertia. Let's begin the Sons of CPAs with your hosts today, Jason Ackerman and Scott Scarena. And we have a special guest this week, Rita Keller. You are a management consultant? Yes. Would you say, would you say that? CPA firm management consultant. Because I strictly work with CPAs. I, a couple times I've did some work for attorneys, but CPAs is my sole interest. I'm the son of a CPA, but I'm not a CPA. I'm an EA. I work with a lot of EAs too. Okay. <laughs> accounting, accounting professionals. And you know, the biggest part of the accounting profession I heard this quote by Barry Melanson. It's um, well over 50% of people working in the accounting profession in public accounting are not CPAs because you count all the support people, all the technology people, all the marketing people, and all the young people who aren't CPAs yet. Yeah. That just surprised me. Yeah. we has been around really, a, I'm not going to say a legend, but a legend in the CPA business a long time and always shows up on the top 100 most influential lists so 
why don't we start with tell us how you got into the CPA profession? I'm really excited to have somebody on that has a wealth of knowledge. Like I, did, I, <laughs> I have a guest on that one. knows something. <laughs> well, you, you need to have more old people on there yet. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's a wisdom it. thing. It's not. It's yeah, wisdom. It's wisdom. wisdom I'm, I'm older and wiser, and it. I keep getting that way every day. I tell you, it, especially this last couple of years. But when I started in the CPA profession, I had no idea what a CPA didn't know any, no relatives, no nothing. And I wanted to go back to work. I worked in the accounting department of Alcoa uh, out of junior college. And then I stayed home, uh, started a family. And when my son was in second grade, I thought I was working part-time at the school. And I thought, if I'm going to work, I want to make some money, you know, like working in a school. So, you're not making any money. <laughs> as a teacher say, you're not going to make any money. And I love the business world. So I... Uh, went to work for a CPA firm because two high school friends of mine worked at the firm. And it was L.L. Ware and company, Luke Ware, a veteran generation, dropped out of Touche Ross to start his own firm in the small city, Richmond, Indiana. There was about nine people when I went in and I was his secretary, the S word that we don't say anymore. <laughs> don't say that word. So being the secretary to the managing partner, I was, knew everything going on. He dictated, you know, dictaphone back in that days. I had a IBM Selectric typewriter. I was thrilled. Nobody had one of those. You know, it was the newest thing. I got the first word processor in the firm. So with his encouragement and the other partner's encouragement, there were two other partners. And I just kept growing and found it interesting and got promoted to office manager. And then when Luke Ware retired, he named his successor, who at the time was a 32-year-old guy, 32 when he took over. So he's probably younger than you two, maybe. And that's when the firm took off, and I was named firm administrator because Luke had heard of this organization and sent me to a couple meetings in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I got involved in that. He was very encouraging about me furthering my education. And... Through the years, I did finish my college degree, eventually office manager to firm administrator to director of administration to chief operating officer, and eventually became an equity shareholder in the firm. We grew from nine people, one office to 130 with four offices. Wow. How long were you there? I was there 30 years. Okay. So when I hit that 30th anniversary, and we had grown via acquisition five acquisitions. So I lived through those. Our managing partner always said he did the deal and then handed it off to me for the facilities and the people. And the first one we did, of course, we were worried about losing clients. That was a big thing back then. It was in 1993. And we were so worried about clients, we forgot about people. And we lost almost all the people from that firm, which was about 16 people that we merged in. So the next time we did it, we focused on people and we realized our mistake and we assigned buddies. And before we actually moved, they moved into our office. Before we did that, we did a lot of preliminary work. And over the years, even when I left, that was in 96, most of those people were still at the firm. So we think we did it right. And that's when we really started focusing on what everybody's focusing on now is taking care of your people. People first. 
people first and, and doing everything you can to make them happy. I always, my theme was, how do we make them say, wow? You know, and back then. And is, it, we, is it your theme was for people though? Was that right? Or the clients? Because a lot of people talk about the client service and the wowing the client. But I'm, I'm with you. I like, once you realize how important the people are, the clients stay if the people are wowed. I think some famous, I don't know if it was Herb Kelleher or somebody said, you know, if your people are happy, your customers are happy. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that's just says, says it all, you know, and basically that's how I got developed my notoriety, I guess. And my invitations to speak came about because I joined what was then called the association for accounting administration. Now it's CPA firm management association, still going after 30 some years. And at those meetings, people would hear us, hear me say what we were doing. And they'd say, well, can you share with us? Or then I, I got invited to speak to something a long time ago was called the Missouri map conference way before your time. It was the map conference management and accounting practice. You know what map is. It was the biggest one in the nation. Everybody went there who is anybody. And I got invited because they'd never heard of a firm administrator. They picked me up in a limousine at the airport. Um, <laughs> just that was their theme. You know, they took care of all the speakers. And then from that, I first met Gary Seamus there, who's a legend in the CPA profession. And what I did is as I heard speakers, I'd introduce myself to them. And as the years progressed and I did more speaking, uh, the AICPA had me on a couple of committees. I'm not a CPA but I was chairman of the practitioner's symposium. It's where I met Jason and his dad, Bernie. And so I, just one thing led to another. And the more that I spoke, the more I was asked to speak. And then I started going to firms and doing what we called an administrative review. You know, how's your firm actually working? Then, and sometimes now, it's kind of a mess behind the black curtain. <laughs> oh, <call>. yeah. <laughs> And right, so through all these acquisitions that we did, we grew to have to having 13 partners. A couple from the big four dropouts came on board and it was different, very different as we grew bigger. So at 30 years, I thought I started consulting as part of the firm. I thought my partners would be thrilled that I brought in some money. They wanted me focused on the firm more or less. So I decided, okay, 30 years is enough for one organization. While I still, I, before I got too old, I said, I want to go out and do some consulting. So we worked out a deal where I left early, early retirement, and I started my consulting and that was in 2008. And I've, I wanted to do it like five years. Here it is, almost 2022. And what has happened I really have developed a client base of smaller firms because the big name consultants, you know, and, and I'm friends with all of them. I was part of the New Horizon group. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's Mark Rosenberg, Chris Fredrickson, uh, August Aquila, Alan Colton, all of those older guys. I was the first woman invited to join that group. So just because I had a different I had more of behind the black curtain knowledge, you know, what really goes on and how you can make your firm more efficient, more profitable. I built that network, which helped me get known better. So I started my consulting and I haven't looked back. 
the biggest thing, the most smartest thing I ever did, I think, was start my blog. And I don't know if you read it every day. I know Jason does sometimes. And it, yeah, you have a great newsletter that you send out. Yeah, you send out send, every, once a week? That My blog is every day. And then I have a newsletter monthly. But the blog is on my website. I've blogged every business day for nearly 17 years. That's amazing. Wow. The content out there is, and then I've got it, you know, by category. So I tell my clients and others, if you're wondering about mentoring or communication, just go out there and click on that. It says select a category and you can see all the blogs. And it's everything I blog about is CPA firm management. Rita, I'm going to pitch this to you. I want to do that, but as a podcast, I have a daily podcast and just have it be tips to managing a firm, a modern firm. Like yeah. a five minute podcast. That would be amazing. Like a little five Basically minute your article and, yeah. you, and you should just do a five minute little talk about it. Yeah, I should. In fact, that's something I haven't really explored is podcasts. I've been on a few, you know, but I haven't really explored them for myself. But boy, it's hot. All, everybody I talk to, they, they listen to this podcast and that podcast. So, so yeah. here's what we can do. We can read your blog on air. <laughs> we'll just read it live. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll write it up. I'll, I'll go on there and then I'll just read it off and then post there it you up. go. <laughs> and your royalty check. Let, let's go. Let's go that's, back to when I want to ask you. So the firm that you're working at, you said the main partner retired and he picked his successor and then it grew rapidly from there through acquisition. If you were to do like looking back, do you think that was the right way to grow? Would you have done it that way again? I think it was the right way to grow for us. The uh, founding partner, when he retired, I think the smartest thing he did, he skipped over the next aged partner, his first partner that he brought in, he skipped over him and brought in this younger partner and named him as managing partner because he had that, he was driven uh, and he's out there consulting too, Gary Adamson. He writes, a, has a newsletter and does a blog, but he's focused on M&A work mostly and partner agreements, all that sort of stuff where I'm focused more on actually managing the firm, daily operations. So anyway, when, when Gary took over, we just became more energized. I think we made a good team where he was weak. I was strong where I was weak. He was strong. And we're the two that went out and talked to the firms. Our partners, I think did it the right way. They let us manage the firm and they took care of clients. When I get in a lot of small firms, every partner has to vote on everything. You know, it's <laughs> and then nothing gets done. And nothing is right. <laughs> Too many cooks in the kitchen, I always say. If you're going to have a managing partner, give them some power. And that's basically how, how we grew. And I think we would do it again because we were in a small city and we were the number one firm in that city with about 25 people because it was only 35, 40,000 people. So we went to a larger city nearby, Dayton, to look for acquisitions. We opened an office cold, which I do not recommend. Never open an office cold because it takes a long time to build up your visibility and your reputation. But we were there two years and we found a firm to bring in that was the same size we were. You know, we were about 16, 18, and they were the same size, which doubled our size. So that was a jump start in Dayton, Ohio for us. And then we brought in a couple other firms eventually went to Columbus, Ohio, 
and found a firm in one of the niches. We had a strong niche in auto dealers. So we found an, an auto dealer firm, a guy that was nearing retirement. And so it's, if you want to grow faster, because it takes a long time to grow organically, unless you're highly niched and really known as an expert. Like one guy I know is an expert. He's in Florida. He only serves people who own airplanes. So he has clients around the world because it's complicated, I guess. I'm not an accountant and that's what he knows. And this auto dealer guy we brought in, an auto dealership would not do anything till they called him. He had him trained. So he had that built that reputation. So if you're going to grow organically, you need to be highly niched and become known as the expert. But if you want to grow quicker, it's acquisitions. And it's been crazy out there, as you have read and seen. But it's because of the baby boomers. They're, they're still aging out. There's still several of them left. I think it took, a, I don't know how many years for all of them to retire, but they're still in firms. And when they want to retire, the thing that we've all talked about for years and the thing that I've argued about is they haven't trained people. They haven't mentored them. They haven't. Yeah. They just they ignored it, you know, and so they went bought out. So they merge up. It's the only way they can get their money because they know their people can't. And I'll qualify that. Young people, it's not a good deal. Why do you want to pay for these guys' retirements? If you've got, you can't afford it if you have several of them retiring. So a lot of young people don't want that debt. Yeah. Obviously, you've seen a lot of different things managing what when you go to these small firms and you do kind of the behind the curtain checkup what's kind of a few things that you see that most firms don't do well oh boy <laughs> there's probably more than a few <laughs> well what amazes me jason is the fact that some things i saw 30 years ago i still see do you set goals for your people do, do they know your expectations? Do you set monthly goals so they can get there? Do you mentor them? They aren't clear on setting their expectations. And I think that is how, if you want your firm to be taken over, you don't want to have to merge up. You have to do that when they're young. They, they just don't take the time and the effort to really make it clear. The foundation isn't there. Sometimes it's simply billing and collection. I don't know how many headaches I see with billing and collection, which to me, that's a foundational issue that shouldn't be, nobody should be worrying about that. It should just happen. And I guess I was kind of spoiled because our partners, we come back from a conference with new ideas. Okay, let's do it. I mean, we, we went paperless in 1999. We have an episode titled paperless since 1999. I mean, that was very early. You didn't have a cloud then. No. In fact, we, we started in 99, we really, and we started, interestingly enough, with individual tax returns. And then we went to the next summer, we went to, we found caseware at the time. So we took audit and business tax paperless. And then we didn't really become what I call fully paperless until we got a document management system. At the time, there was none out there for accounting firms. They just, the bigger industries, you know, had some things like that, but they didn't fit accounting firms. So we 
waited till go file room. We went with go file room because before they got merged into Thompson and that go file room had the ability to make that routing sheet, the paper one we always used and we'd sign off on and pass it on and sign off. All that was built into go file room. It was paperless. And so then we didn't have to route any paper around the office. So, yeah. so now that's kind of how we evolved getting the clients. I'm sure you never got the clients to stop wanting papers so like I or handing in papers. I'm sure if you're doing taxes, you still got well, it's I think COVID was a blessing in many ways for accounting firms. Sure. Because it and I know that Milan son and all those guys are, were amazed. It said that we progressed what they thought would take seven years took about seven, two weeks or something. I mean, Firms did a good job. I'm sure you guys have stories about how quickly you went paperless. Oof. We we got rid of our and, office during. Well, we've been paperless for a long time, but I think firms, yeah, I mean, either had to or they were not working. <laughs> right now, the very very small firms didn't. They they kept going into the office. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because it was so few people, but it the remote connectivity. I talked to so many firms through the years that have said, oh, we have remote connectivity for two people. They only allowed two people wow. to, to like remote in where now everybody can remote in. So that speeded up that whole, well, sort of paperless. I'll say completely remote. It speeded up. But so many firms had their admin team go in at risk because they had to scan things. And they had to get the client papers and they had to one firm. I know the whole admin team got COVID. Wow. So anyway, I, I think we've come a, a long way in two years and I think we'll never, there's never going to be the old normal ever again. I think smaller firms like yours, what I've seen over the years are much more progressive than the larger firms. Or more nimble. We we can act more on nimble, and I quicker. think you embrace technology sooner. Yeah, didn't you? Both of you. I think both of you have oh, good absolutely. stories about that. Yeah, and I've known yeah. others that that you know that well. Jody Padar and Shana just embrace technology and streamline things. One of my clients only had six people, and their office manager had everything linked years ago. You know, yeah. before it really became common. Yeah, I think the the thing that's holding a lot of firms back is the tax software because it's the one thing that's still not cloud. It's like the last piece of the puzzle. We've been able to move everything. I you can you can go paperless and remote and have a server, but it's very hard to get off of a server without having that tax piece. Well, it's still kind of a different conversation because it's it's going back to managing um, expectations too for for clients and for the team. You know, if you can't get everybody's mind shifted on, okay, this is how we're going to do it, then the clients still want to do things the traditional way, and then everybody complains that it's hard. You know, oh, we can't change because we can't get them to do this. Well, it's because you're probably politely asking and still letting them do something a different exactly. way. Exactly. I believe in training clients and most of CPAs I talk to, accounting firms I talk to, what do you mean train clients, you know, and <laughs> yet they, they complain the most because those that handful that brings their stuff in on April 12th or 13th or 14th and, and you break your neck to get it done instead of saying, well, 
it's extended or it'll be late or whatever. We had certain partners that had their clients trained. We never had that headache, but some partners we did, of course. Mm -hmm. But that's the biggest complaint I hear from CPA firms around the country right now. Get them to bring their information or send it to us or, and they still want to bring it in paper, you know, and, and all that sort of stuff. So what, so what do you tell them? I tell them, train your clients. Yeah. <laughs> and if the client and start, I say, start today with every new client. You say, here's how we do it. For years, our firm even did whatever the, they want their monthly financial statements to look this way, like the old software they had. So we would make all these adjustments and try to get our product to look like what they expected. And each client had a different expectation. Progressive firms said, here's what we offer and this is how it'll look. And if, you know, if they don't want it, they go elsewhere. We've always done that. And then you ask why, why do you want it this way? And eventually you get to, well, that's because that's how it's supposed to be. Right. Like that's, that's what they'll ask you. They, they'll turn around and say, well, I, I thought that's how the financials are supposed to look. That's why I want them this way. And that, that goes to a firm, an employee or a client. If they think this is how it's supposed to be, because this is how it's always been done. You just have to change their mind on that too, and get them to either understand or they can go. And I think it's easier like you said, with newer clients, you start every new client coming on like that. But what about the ones that have been with you for a while that they've always been, it's acceptable for them to always come in late or to always do things late and they've just been tolerated. Then when you tell them. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I advise. And that's what I've seen because of the shortage of labor. We haven't talked about that, but it's, Every firm is, are, do you, are you looking for people? Do you need anybody? Have you got enough to take good care of the clients you're bringing in? Are you asking us? Yeah. Ackerman says he's at capacity right now. He can't even take on a conversion project. <laughs> Script two, the fun version. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Accounting is all about numbers, right? Mm, no. But here's one that, that should get your attention. 420. Whoops. Sorry, that, this is designed for you, Scott. 420. Sorry, read that wrong. It's 349. That's how many dollars Gusto's People Advisory training usually costs. But because you're a listener of this podcast, and surprisingly, you've made it this far, so God bless you. <laughs> Gusto's offering these valuable online courses free for a limited time. What's People Advisory, might you ask? Dot, dot, dot. It's essential training for accountants looking to move beyond payroll and help clients protect their business, work more efficiently, and strengthen relationships with their employees. It's also a great way to maximize revenue for your firm. Let's face it. Today's business owners need more than just bookkeeping advice. By taking Gusto's People Advisor Certification Accelerator courses, you can offer so much more and charge for it too. Did I mention? Participants can also earn nine CPE credits. I can be forgetful sometimes because I think this was designed for you to read. <laughs> because definitely designed for me. Because and you're I literally can, high right uh, now yeah. reading it. So, and, and and literally, to access your free people advisory courses, head to gusto.com forward slash training and use code SUNS100 at checkout. That's gusto.com forward slash training with SUNS100 at checkout use the code use the code people use the code use the code people advisory because this time you don't have to scream it from the rooftops either you can type it in yeah sons 100 type it in quietly 
gusto.com forward slash training with sons 100. That's beautiful. We have an internship program that we've had for a long time, a high school and a college. We actually started a new thing, Rita, where we do, we basically, we just hired two new interns, college, they're sophomores. We have them work through tax season. And then if they like us and we like them, we give them a $10,000 scholarship a year. So for their last two years that we pay $10,000 towards their schooling with a commitment that they work three years after they graduate and pass the CPA exam before they graduate. So what we found was that it's harder. The people were that were graduating were not passing the CPA exam as fast as we wanted them to. So we went to our local college and said, how can we, how can we tie in the CPA? And basically they, the education is just so much harder to change. So we're like, let's, let's give the kids uh, incentive for them to really do this during their fifth year when they're taking their graduate level classes. So that's, this is our third year now. And that's been very successful. We've got our first class. This one girl is, I told her she could run the firm almost like she's amazing, (laughs) but it takes, it takes time. And I think a lot of firms don't, aren't willing to put in that training that it takes, you know, it takes people three to five years just to be able to be competent on doing a tax return or doing the basics. But with this move kind of up to advisory, we've kind of got rid of that training level. So how do you train your people? And you have these higher expectations, but you just expect them to be able to give advice. in and start driving. Yeah, you got your <laughs> yeah, driver's yeah. license here. You <laughs> drive down to Hilton. And you can't do that. <laughs> I, I don't think that's possible. I wondered about that too, Jason, about how, how are you going to teach you know, the younger generation consulting when the reason I'm a consultant and can do a good job is because I've lived through it. You know, I, I was the firm tech person. I was the firm marketing director. I was the firm bookkeeper, heaven forbid, for a while that, but I learned, you know, so I could understand yeah. how and you make the mistakes and you have somebody above you who can kind of, but don't you think that is help. really going to happen? Tax is going to be Robots are going to do tax. Scott and I talk about this all the time. That's so what I, Scott thinks. I think that, no, 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 it's not robots. I think we already have robots that are now doing processes. I think it's, a lot of it is going to be setting the the algorithm. You know, I don't want to go into the, how all of it is a process that happens over and over again. And eventually a program is going to be able to come in, grab this, grab that. All of this data is already online. It's just a matter of setting it up, teeing it up, and then, then you have the facilitator and the facilitator can be anybody at the firm that knows the client, that knows the relationship, that understands the law. I think that's, that's where all of our jobs are going to eventually go. I don't, I, I think, I think so. I agree with you. I think we are, I mean, you are going to be consultants really because that, what the, we used to call grunt work when it's done for you, but your young people will have to have a different way it, to learn it's a different training yeah, well, yeah. training them it, how to it's really yeah, yeah how to communicate the result of the tax return is what you want to communicate and what you build on the result mm-hmm. you know that's what yeah. you're, you're so it, it's going to be different and i don't think i have the specific <laughs> answer to that i'm going to push back a little and say you, know, you used to do tax returns by hand obviously that's gone away like i don't think i could do a tax return by hand 
we have the software, but because of the software, tax returns have been the legislation. It's so complex, and right now the computers, yeah, they can you can feed everything in and maybe it'll do it all right. But there's a lot of options that the, the computers can't do. All right, so let's talk at about this moment. All right, True. so everything that is poss possible or potential, let's talk about write-up work. Write-up work used to be you're gathering all the bank statements, you're gathering all the the keying things in to the to, to your data entry to yeah, create. Yeah, well, I think the grunt. I think do the grunt work of getting the stuff into the system is going to go away. We've got technology for I mean, that. It's pretty much gone away for write-up. It's gone away, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's gone for write-up. It's going to go away for tax, but write-up, what woodwork is still required? It hasn't gone 100% away. <laughs> I mean, in the have... U.S., it hasn't gone 100% away, but some countries that aren't writing checks, it is. You know, it's, a lot it's of it has gone away. It's yeah, close, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of automation. 90% of it is automated now, but there's still a lot of stuff that can that isn't, it's not automated yet. And I think it will get there, but we're not there yet. And we've kind yeah, of been getting to 90% of the way is a long time and it's very hard. But once you get there, that address the 10% can be managed by 10% of the people too. So the new people coming in, I think kind of what Rita's saying and what I'm saying is like, we need to teach them how to interact with clients. They're not going to be in a room just doing a tax return on their own, just keying stuff in and figuring it out. They have to be focused on client facing client services yes they have to learn they have to learn that that's a very important skill but they also have to learn how to do the work as well and we, well they have to know how the machine's doing the work and how it's happening they don't have correct. to do it they won't have yeah. to do it like yeah that. because yeah. now now jason you you have software you said you know i agree do with one all you're hand, saying but but we but the software is like a robot itself because it right now but right stuff. now firms are taking you know they're taking their stuff they're outsourcing it to india or whatever <laughs> and then there is coming back or whatever like, we, we've we've commoditized we basically have commoditized our pro our products ourselves and we, well, we basically the, have the given ourselves commoditized them turbo tax no, you can go no, buy that but, and have it done but there's still you. like uh, there's still lots of good paying high leverage clients that need a proper tax return tax return done correctly that turbo tax cannot do well, and maybe we agree with you on that. Yeah, I agree with you. On so, but but we we've outsourced it all. Like we, we haven't outsourced it all. We don't like. We need help. I just I just help. worry so about there's people willing to work in India. Well, <laughs> well, that that it goes back to the labor shortage. I mean, there are fewer students majoring in accounting. Uh, there are fewer people graduating with an accounting degree. This all comes from the AICPA. People graduating with an accounting degree don't want to go into public accounting. They say, I don't want to pass the exam and I don't want to work that hard. Yeah, and that's Where, the stigma that we have as accountants. It's a stigma, yeah. And a lot of, most firms I know, I mean, I grew up in the age of sweatshops, we called them. That's a sweatshop <laughs> firm, you know? You work we 80 hours never, a week. Yeah. We were never a sweatshop firm. We never worked on Sunday ever. And maybe half a day on Saturday. We just, we set that parameters early on. It came from our founder, I guess. And so we didn't want to be a sweatshop firm. And I think that's why we, part of our success and attract, because you have to have that, you have to build that brand. That's what I tell my clients that on the college campus and in the community, 
you know, you want the brand to attract clients and who attracts employees. We always said, we want to be the cool firm in town, you mm -hmm. know, and we tried to work towards that by early on doing a lot of this stuff that firms are just doing now, you know, sending them gifts and birthday parties and playing golf in the hallways and all, <laughs> all that stuff. Years ago, we did lots of that and, and it, it worked. You build the brand that you're not a sweatshop. One of my concerns is the accounting personality. I find accountants, there are a certain type of people that are drawn to accounting. And we've always said every generation, well, this next generation is really going to change things. But by the time Generation X got in power, they had been raised by baby boomers and they were just like baby boomers. Because a young accountant has the same personality as an old accountant. They're traditional, they're conservative, they're more introverted, perhaps. That's not all of In them. In most cases, yeah. So, it's a, so that personality drawn to accounting, now we're going to say, you have to be a people person. You know, when we introduced marketing, you know, marketing was against the rules before I was in the yeah, profession. You couldn't, you, couldn't. you couldn't do it. It was against the rules. You had to, only by referral could you get clients. So I came along in the era where that was really, marketing was hot stuff. Well, some of those accountants, their eyes glazed over. You know, you mean I have to go out and talk to people? Ooh, they got yeah. the sweats, yeah. Yeah. What's going to happen when we have these accounting personalities? We're going to attract different people to the CPA profession when we truly become consultants. Don't you think? Yeah. How do we get these people into accounting? Majority of the accountants do want to be in the back room, introverted. And then there's majority. always some, there's always some diamonds in the rough. And there's always going to be some that are going to bring that out in others too. You know, lead by example too, internally. Some people, you know, will get more comfortable with it when they realize I can do this. I do this all the time at, with my family or at home. I, I'm not as introverted when I'm around people I'm comfortable with. I think that it's just a matter of getting others more comfortable presenting themselves to a client. Yeah, yeah. and that'll, that, that's a basic personality change for uh, tax guys. I don't know if you guys are tax guys or not. But <laughs> I know a lot of tax people. Tax, uh, Jason tax, wouldn't consider me a tax person. Okay, no. tax, tax <laughs> people love tax. They love that. You know, we had one partner, I, he loved the tax code and they, 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 it's a challenge to them. Tax is not just one way is the right way. You know, there's lots of avenues and, and they just love what they're doing. A consultant told me this story one time when we'd say, well, that you can't get them to go out and market, to go out and meet people. You can't, they just, you know, they want to work. And I think that's why they work too much because they really love what they do. They really do. So he said, think about your husband on, um, Super Bowl day. And he's got his buddies over. The game has just started. They're in the den and they've got beer and pretzels and popcorn and, and they're just raring to go and first quarter. And the wife comes in and says, honey, the sink is stopped up. Can you come and help me with the sink? That's like going to a tax person and telling them, can you go marketing? The last thing that he wants to do is leave his friends leave the good time and go work on a stopped up sink. So that's why I think it's going to be a challenge for that tax mentality person. And I wonder if we'll still, because of the automation, how many 
highly technical tax people will we need? Right. Right now we need them. The person in a firm that does the quality review and the one, the one or two partners everybody goes to when they have a real difficult tax question. I don't know what's going to happen there. So that's interesting. In in most firms, you're right. There's always going to be that handful of people that they have all the answers. And we're starting to see now, like the programs, like the checkpoint and and different ones. You know, that, Google. Like the, the, a lot of the answers are just coming <laughs> from there. Like there's not not as many people are needed. You know, you, you it's a pretty good that's resource. True. So that's true. Google's my best friend. <laughs> yeah, that all of us. I mean, they, whether we want to admit it or not. The people leading the firm who we're trying to get this message to, they've got to really, they've got big decisions to make. And how, yeah. are we going, how are we going to go forward? And Jason, how, how do you think your firm's going to go forward? <laughs> going for, I think that the key is, like you kind of said at the beginning, figure out what you want to do with your firm. Because I, I think the one big problem is that we've tried to like, the niches, the niches are important and not trying to do everything that a traditional CPA firm has done, you know, auditing, tax, cloud accounting services, trust work. There's so much, it's so wide that I think you, I think you need to focus on a few of them and partner with other people who do the other ones really well and focus on your niche and then grow that way. Grow with and find people that are passionate with that kind of look. I think the the generalist kind of what you're saying, you know, that's kind of most small CPA firms are generalists. They are, yeah, they are true. So very true. They are generalists, but it seems like the profession wants you to, to offer a lot of services. You know, it's, yeah. you know some websites of CPA yeah. firms. Clients want that too. They they want to know it's under one roof. I think mm -hmm. clients want to say, mm -hmm. this is my person. This is, I go to them, whether this is my firm or this is my person. Like they want to have, I, trust I think them. sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. I think if you do everything mediocre, I don't think that's, that's kind of like the Intuit route. You know, you have Intuit that does everything, but not very well. Thompson, CCH, they all have these cloud products and mm -hmm. we all complain about them because they're not that great. I really think, you know, we're, we're struggling now with, cloud accounting services, you know, everyone's done it. We've kind of done a little bit of it, but to do it right, you really need to focus a bunch of resources on that. And like, do we want to do that? Or do we want to have other people do that? And we focus a lot on the tax planning and tax work. There's firms out there that are strictly CAS. Yeah. And, and most, they don't, and they don't most want people, the tax work. Exactly. Yeah. And most of them are going that like Scott's firm, they are mostly focused on the CAS work and there's, hundreds of those and like they're commoditizing themselves so like do we want to are you saying i'm commoditizing myself i, I think <laughs> I mean... we're, we're providing the service under one roof and the clients that come to us want that they want us to be doing their taxes and their accounting work in unison they want to be able to get the tax advice while we're doing the work during the year like i i don't think that there's any shame in what we're doing and i don't i, no, I don't think i don't think that general. i don't think there's anything wrong with that i'm not i think it's managing the, it's going back but... to expectations Right. So setting expectations for what the client should be expecting out of the work that they're hiring. I just I'm I'm I know like the level of product and service I want to provide and I don't want that to dip. 
and I can see as long as we provide the high client service and the client, that's the key. And as long as we, we keep that high, I think once, and that's what's what you, I worry, that's what's what your I value, worry about. Are you saving no. the money or are you just giving them good service? Like what's your, what are you telling clients when you're advertising to them or they're coming to you? They want you to do their it's all the, it's like They want it done it's right. It's like buying a Porsche. Like we're selling. We're selling a Porsche, but then most accounting firms are charging a Toyota price. <laughs> How do I get everyone in my firm to be able to do a tax return as well as I can do? And I spend and like creating a learning firm, kind of like a learning hospital. You have a learning firm where everyone's kind of learning from each other in meetings. Like once you get your CA, if you're working on CAS, to yeah. me that. That's part of the part tax of, return. Part of the tax return. Part of the headaches of tax return is the mess. It oh, yeah. comes in. Well, that, that's why so we, if you're, that's if why you're doing do CAS, it. to me, the point of that is you, every, the tax return becomes easy. Yeah. Everything's clean. Everything it's becomes easy because it's all connected. Yeah, that's 100% that true. But it's not, it's not the right up work and it's not the easy ones, but it's the complicated ones. So, like, if you get, you know, there's a basic. We were talking firm. about professional services today, and you said that's too complicated. That's too complex, and it's just professional services with employees. Everything's getting more and more complex. Stuff's not getting less complex. Taxes are complex. Doing the right accounting, doing the accounting right has to do with the tax return. I think they all are kind of connected. Zoom out a little. <laughs> I'm not arguing with anything that you're saying. I just, my worry with everything is like quality control and making sure that the client gets the proper service and i i think as cpas we have skipped a step you have a quality we, we, problem we've jumped no we don't we've jumped 10 years in the future when tax returns can be done by themselves and we're not there yet and we've kind of just skipped we we don't have the products being done by cpa firms are not good i see them all the time i see tax returns that come in from other firms and i'm like this is just it looks like an intern did it <laughs> and, and it's not that's that's not good for the profession um because okay i got just stop jason i hear this all the time yeah we get these tax returns but these other guys did and they're they are terrible they can't do them every firm tells me that because taxes who's doing take, these returns i don't know but every firm thinks they can do it better than the other firm because tax isn't a one way is right. No, There's I don't. I don't think that's. No, the case. I, th I, I, I read this onto something because I, I say this too. Everybody, you can look at. You always say this to me. You want to look at our returns to see everything we did wrong. That's everything that you're looking for. Okay, no. maybe we don't do a return the same way you do, <laughs> and you th he thinks every return's wrong because he's not doing it. That's how a lot of tax practitioners are. No, that's like, not. If I'm not doing it, I, it's not right. I think you you are onto something, which it, which is like. Yeah, we think we can do it better than everybody else, which is definitely true. But we I do, do too. <laughs> but I do think that we have out. A lot of firms have gone the outsourcing route. It's and not they, outsourcing. They it's have not all outsourced, down. I, I'm just telling you what my and I could be completely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> if I can look at a tax return and immediately see that something was done incorrectly, not a different way, then there's something. The quality has gone down because we have we, we have no bottom level training. The bottom the people that are doing the tax returns oh. now are interns, and and there's not a quality control. Well, it's not we. All you can only control firms. what you do at your firm. You can only set the expectation for your employees, and you're just hiring them at a very young age, 
and you're able to have patience with them and you're able to train them at a pace. You're, you're able to pace that. So three years out, they've been with you and they know the expectation. Most firms don't do that. And when they hire somebody, they just need the work done. They just need bodies on there to like, I, one thing that we did. Don't you think that's a problem? (laughs) Doing just getting work done because, and then not doing it right is a problem. Well, of course it is. I'm not saying that it's not a problem. So Rita, to your question it's, earlier, like, do I need to hire people? Well, we've done a lot of turning clients over. So we have low tolerance for a client not wanting to do things the way it's supposed to be done. We have a low tolerance for a client not wanting to pay. And we charge Porsche prices. That That's well, one thing of control. It's a reputation you've built. Yeah. yeah. And they'll pay it. They, the ones that do pay it, they appreciate it. And I think we do give them Porsche level service. I don't think that we make a ton of mistakes like Ackerman says we do. But I, no, also... I don't necessarily say you made mistakes. I think if you're providing, I think you charge, I, I totally believe in charging high prices and giving top level service. I think that's where well, the profession and, should be. And Jason, this all, to me, all goes back to this crisis right now is what's, if the profession can't attract people, what's going to happen? Many f- clients have, or not my clients, but some firms have told me, you know, they are cutting cutting off people or customers. You know, we don't want any more clients, A, B, C, and D. We're getting rid of the Ds because we don't want our A clients to feel like they're not served properly. And And I think that's that's how they define a D client. I think all clients, I think all the ones that are messy and don't pay on time and always late and the ones that cause problems. Most CPA firms hold onto those clients. They really do. They're not as- Yeah, I mean, we've had that problem. That's, that's a big, I think that's a big problem. For, we did too, for a long because, time until we realized we don't need them. And they're always going to be D people anyway. The D clients that you get rid of, they're Ds in their whole life as it is. It's hard to get Usually, rid of yeah. because if you've done like your job right as a CPA, you form these relationships with these clients. And I think that's the hardest part of letting them go is like, they might be your friend, but they're a D client. They need to go. So, so here's a good point to, to, to the expectations thing. And, and like, so I'm a D client when it comes to somebody that's not giving me direction and not telling me what I need to do. If, if I'm a professional services client for anything, but I really want to do a good job for somebody that's telling me exactly what I need to do. And then they've given me instructions. I want to make sure I follow them. Somebody that doesn't give me instructions and doesn't tell me how I need to do things. I just throw it all on the street. Like go pick it up, like whatever, whatever you need. Most CPAs don't give their client clear, this is what we expect from you. I have a commitment statement. You know, this is what the firm will do for you. This is what you, we'd like for you to do for the firm to new clients, you know, so that they know right away what's the expectations as a client. And if they don't like that, they can go somewhere else. You know, it's just good business. And to me, you should show your clients by example how to run a good business. When yeah. it comes to billing, collection, all that sort of stuff, they look to you to set the example and to tell them. But a lot of CPAs don't clearly define the expectation for clients. They just want to keep them happy. They've been friends. They've been a client forever. I got this story all the time. We can't upset Joe because he's got a brother. Yes. And a, a mother. That's my dad. It's a, sm- it's a small town. Everyone talks. That's what he says all the time. And I'm like, yep. Rock Hill's 100,000 people now. I don't think people are talking. <laughs> well, it's, in, in the worldview of you know all of your clients and you know who they know, it does seem very small. I'm, I'm worried that 
I'm going to lose my friend. One thing that we did recently, at least in the past couple of years, was charging everything up front because you keep talking about billing and collection. And that's something that I think people do respect. It's, it is a bit harder when you're trying to price everything up front and you don't know the full scope. That's one thing I'm in the middle of dealing with. But the other part of it is there is no billing and collection when you charge the charge everything up front. And this is the price. You pay this first. Then we do the work after. Yeah, Reed, um, we're, we're Fitz price people. We also, we have no time sheets. Okay. Oh, we're the, so I think we're the only, no I think we're literally the only firm in the so entire country. It doesn't make country track to us. No time sheets. I know. I know two others that are my clients of mine. No, it's growing. It's growing. Okay, good. Well, it contract, it grew for me. Like we, we stopped tracking time for everything. And we just started again this year because I'm, I'm trying to measure profitability. I want to see where are we spending most of our time with most of our clients. And we usually know that stuff off, you know, based on turnaround time and things like that. The common denominator is time. Well, you have to, if you're going to be a fixed price agreement firm, if you're going to charge up front and you quote that price, I think that's great. But I think you have to be, you have to have better managers. Yes. You know, you have to, you have to manage your people better because they can't just keep working. You have to know when's it due. You don't know their time. You don't know what they've, I've been so used to looking at historically looking at time and you know what chargeable time is and how to price it would be hard i think to I set think that price great, but you have to manage the people so you hard. have to you great... have to know what they're doing day to day what did you get done today yeah. are you going to have it out by friday like you promised so you ha it takes more so that takes time away from you doing your work because yeah. you have to manage people if you're going to have that fixed price I think that's a really good point, but I think that's the whole, you're getting rid of that crux of the timesheet. So you think you're managing no. people off the timesheet. You're not though. And, like, uh, so what Rita's saying is when everybody's, everything's already billed out, everything's already fixed price, the client, the team can just work on anything they feel like it. And they don't have an expect, if they don't have an expectation and they're not being managed, they're just going to work on stuff and they could be spinning their wheels on something that they should really get out the door and finish up or yeah, they're but, trying but to figure the thing this is one with the thing time out. Sheet is, it's the same thing. They're just relying on the time and whatever you say the time should take. But you're managing up front. You're managing the people up front saying, this is the time, this is what you need to do. And it's a different mindset in the relationship it with is. the team too. It's definitely a different mindset for sure. But it doesn't really change how they look at their job. Their job, if they're not being managed correctly is, okay, I've got this work to do. I'm just going to do it. What's well, the best balance? We don't want to manage off of time. We don't want to, them to feel like they're prisoners. We don't want them to feel like they are, are just a number on a sheet. Do, you, do your employees work remotely, Scott? Yeah, they do as of, as of COVID. Like that's the, we, we had an office before COVID. But so you just don't have an office at all now? Yeah, it's so hard to manage everybody remote. I mean, it's, it works and yeah. we're doing it. But it's, I know that that's been a big challenge for everybody. Yeah, we, I don't know what they're doing during the day. I don't really care what they're doing during the day either, as long as they get their work done. But well, see that that's the, of the timesheet. You know, our our managing partner looked at production. He he ran his own reports out of practice management. Yeah. Every morning, he knew what we produced the day before, so he could compare it to last year. On it was historical, but it was timely. Sure. And if you don't have that, 
I, I just find it hard unless you're really managing that person. Managers have to be managers and making sure they're focused on the right thing and getting their due dates and all that sort of stuff. It's just foreign to the CPA profession because we always look at that time. If, if they're, they're billable, then they're okay, you know. Well, and we weren't managing, I think in the, in the past, when we were looking at the time, you weren't necessarily managing people, you're just managing outputs and you were right. just managing what was done. And I think that's a whole different mindset now. Like I have an employee that's just the operations manager and he's just managing all of the CPAs, making sure that what things are staying on course. He's not doing a lot of client work. I don't do any client work anymore either, but it's a lot of it is just managing the firm and managing the people, mm -hmm. not managing the time. We do have to track the time because we have to see if we're profitable on this work that we've priced up front, you know, and how do we turn around and see, well, this client, we're just profitable. This one, we need to be charging $335 more because then we're going to be at our margins for this client. Like we just got, I just got some of this data now and I love it. It's like, all right, they're paying us a thousand a month. We're going to charge them 1335 a month. Yeah. We want to be but more you're profitable. limiting, you're limiting your profitability when you charge by the hour. We're not charging by the hour. We already, we already charged up front. And we know we can charge more based on knowing the time data. See, Scott, Scott's gone Interesting. like, Interesting. Scott's gone hundred yeah. percent. He used to be like us. And then he's gone all the way back to the timesheet. Yeah. We yeah. just charged That's somebody and we haven't changed anything except now we can charge more because we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have done that before. We know which clients we can charge more. We know which ones we should keep the same. I think with that data. Hmm. So it's kind of like going back and checking, well, this clients, they were priced. Okay but we can definitely be more profitable in comparison to what we're doing with others. So what did your people say when you asked them to start recording their time again? That'd they be were, an uproar. No, no, no. That was the thing is, is we had to make them involved in the decision too. And it took a good three months for them to all be on board. And now they're, they see the value in it right. because yeah, they see the value in it. And so they're, they're starting to realize different things that they weren't looking at before because they weren't measuring anything before they just this took about two hours i don't know this is about this about this now they're saying this took way too long because of this and it should be this but, much jason when you assign work to somebody in your culture don't you give them a budget this should take you i mean they don't have to record their time but how do they know how long it should take them if they've never worked on it before you don't give them a budget so i don't care about time i I want people. He's blind to this. He's just putting uh, his blinders no, on. No, I've done a lot of thinking on this. And we've been without timesheets for eight years now. Long time. Yeah. Long time. Mm -hmm. I, what I care about is how much their projects, you know, what, what's the output? What's the charge? How much are we charging the clients for? And I, 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 what we're what I'm trying to figure out now, and since we have eight years worth of data, is like we've got uh, how much how many clients should a person have? So, and that's the thing is like you get a new person, it's gonna take them. Someone asked me like, how long when I start should it take me to do a tax return? I'm like, probably like four days, <laughs> you know, because you they have to learn, and and that's like how are they gonna learn? Like making me nervous to, just hearing all of that. Yeah, that kind of got me there. I want yeah. like, I don't want people to worry about, you know, and it does take management. You have to do a talk with them. You have to, a, a novel concept is you have to talk to your employees. 
<laughs> the timesheet allows you to do, not yeah. talk to your employees. So well, no. most firms, most firms that use time machine timesheets, they don't, right? they just, they, yeah, the they just assign and then they do the next year and people just always charge to the budgets. Like there's a lot of lying on timesheets. You can't lie on net revenue and net income or gross income. Like we're still not spending any more or less time. And the time is just really well, tracking. Well, first itself. of all, you got to assume that all the time is correct, that they're, that people are being a hundred percent accurate with their time, which well, is just, you which know, for it, most firms not, is not true. Sure. That's, that's maybe, right. maybe Scott, you know, yours is different. you you might have it. Most firms, not their time is the, not accurate. Nobody they're right billing now based on the budget. But that's because talking. they're incentivizing them. They're incentivizing them based on. I know, you but I'm just saying how most for you, know, you you might be different, but I'm just saying that's how most firms do it. So so they're just you're 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 managing based off of a fictional thing, and plus the whole point of kind of circling it all back to advising and helping clients is like you want to spend more time talking with your clients, right? Well, what's the chart like, or like researching stuff, or like making sure stuff's right? It's all a different, like, like you're that's, tracking what, that differently. What's the code for that? What's the code you're for tracking client? That differently though, everything isn't. So like, for us, we're using Carbon too, and it's just a work item. And any work item that's a meeting, that's any of it. It's all time still. You know, you're associating know, the work you're, that's being tracked with the time. Most firms are disincentivizing people from talking with their clients because they are. So we track that how many client know, meetings they've Scott, had, and as you grow, you got this nine people because it's hard to manage. It's hard to manage people in if general. You can't, right? My whole thing: if you can't manage nine people, like without a timesheet, then like you're not probably a good manager. Oh, I'm a terrible manager. I never said <laughs> I was good. I'm I'm a horrible manager, <laughs> but I feel like I have happy people when they like working for me. I, okay, guys, are you about yeah. ready to wrap up here? I know we've just been we didn't we just argued <laughs> we for the last thirty go. minutes. This wasn't good. This is what happened. I thought Rita. it was beautiful. Rita. That, well, that, you know, it's real life. That's that's what this is. It's real life. It's real and life Rita, in the accounting profession. Rita, you need to come. First of all, tell everyone to read a cut. RitaKeller.com, right? <laughs> he let it get off the rails. He was Rita, supposed to lead Rita this. RitaKeller.com. He yes. was the lead today, and, and he let this get out of Rita, control. Well, you watching him crash and burn. <laughs> you, uh, everyone should go uh, read her blog. You really should do a podcast for yourself because you should, have so much yeah. knowledge, and you just talk with all you just. Okay, well, that's a good <laughs> idea because we could, you know, we could pick a topic. And talk about that for an hour, just yeah, absolutely. Love like firm today. We we did try to cover a pretty wide range, and but that's life in the accounting profession. There's a lot of you're juggling a lot of balls all the exactly. time. Exactly, and, and yeah. Rita, there's literally no one. There's no one better. Rita's the best. Thank you. Good. So, Spread that word out there, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you're having I troubles at your firm, go hire Rita, and she'll come in and solve them. Rita, I really enjoy your take on, and your perspective. Okay, on great. And hopefully we'll do this again, you know, later on, a few months down the road. You, so you we got to set expectations like and ask them questions. You're, you're, you'd be better at podcasting. Setting goals, mentoring, and billing and collections. Those are those are some of the tips that you okay. gave her here. All right, we got to let you go. We just got to Rita, thank you so much. I got to go put up a Christmas tree. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> Thanks, here. But I, it's really been priorities. fun. Thank I you, Rita. It. Thank you. And Jason. next time you drive through Rock Hill, you better stop by. You say uh -huh. hello to Bernie for me, okay? I will. Tell him I'm thinking of him. Okay.
Okay. Take care. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Rita. Good to get in touch. All right.